so nice to be with all of you this morning and also to see quite a lot of pink out there. We're lighting the joy candle, the pink, I see the Pallister's blanket. I see Matt's shirt. I think I saw Francis. I'm not sure if that's a deep pink or a red. I am wearing Nate's golf shirt because I don't own anything pink, but I just wanted to to say that I'm trying. Um, and this morning I want to paint a picture of joy or a few different pictures of joy. And I think Sandra's also already painted a beautiful picture of joy for us there. Um, but, and I wanted to do this live because I'm asking you to take a risk with me and engage in a few different things that might not be typical on a Sunday morning. Um, we're gonna listen to some music. We're gonna watch a film clip. And we're, if you would like, there's an embodiment exercise that you are invited to participate in. Um, so I'm just going to attempt to share my screen here and see how that goes. Uh-oh. There we go. Can you see something? Yep. Psalm 126, rejoicing and lamenting in the already and not yet. And yes, this is an image from Lord of the Rings. And yes, Lord of the Rings is going to come up later. So I apologize to anyone for whom that is not a fun thing. Um, this is an image I saw this week. My neighbor's Jay fell down, but this is way better. Hashtag 2020. Oi kind of perfect. Um, I know that uh, for many of us, there have been hard things um, in this last while, and I don't want to minimize any of that. Um, you know, the health regulations this week, and just know there are other really difficult situations many of us are facing, and yeah, we don't want to, don't want to minimize um, those experiences at all. Um, and also, don't want to equate joy with happiness. Um, I want to sort of explore that deeper meaning that Sandra mentioned earlier. Um, this idea uh, that um, joy is something deeper and something more. So this message is focused around Psalm 126. And I thought we could start by actually listening to that Psalm put to music as it would have been experienced in the worship of Israel. Um, it wouldn't have sounded quite like this with Isaac Wardell's um, wonderful drums and uh, um, arrangement. Um, but as you're listening to it, um, this is my invitation to you. If possible, if you could go to your kitchen while the psalm is playing and find something that is bitter or sour and something that is sweet and maybe also a glass of water. So I'll show you what I've got here. I've got za'atar, which is a Middle Eastern spice that contains sumac and thyme, and it's actually quite bitter. Um, and I've got Ritter Sport, which is just delicious. Um, and then I have my glass of water. So as the psalm is playing, you've got about five minutes to go to your kitchen and to get something bitter and something sweet and a glass of water. And if there are more than one of you, you may want to get multiple glasses of water unless you'd like to share. Um, so again, here is Psalm 126, hoping this is gonna work, put to music. 
Is it coming through?
so hopefully some of that came through. I'm aware that for part of the time, maybe you weren't hearing music. Apologies. And again, thank you for taking this risk with me. Um, just looking at Psalm 126 now, just a, a little bit of a reflection. Um, Psalm, so Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, um, and Psalms are intended for use in worship and, and worship in the life of Israel. And um, they're, referent, they're intended to be referential for all time so that we can all find ourselves in our story within them. Um, but this particular psalm does have a little bit of a historical context in the sense that it's post-exilic, which means that um, it was written after um, Israel was released from captivity in Babylon. And the Israelites had been uh, captive for 70 years um, at the time when they were released. So we see in the beginning of the psalm, um, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. It's this picture of this return from Babylon, um, this picture of, of freedom, of almost surprise and astonishment um, at this experience of being released after being captive. Um, it's an experience of collective woe followed by deliverance. Um, and there's a, a biblical scholar with a really great last name named Robert Kimchi, who says um, that this kind of describes the passing away and forgetfulness of affliction and trouble at the time of redemption, like a dream that flies away upon waking. And I, I couldn't help but think of how we might all feel at the end of COVID-19, you know, when we've been through this collective experience of, of woe and suffering together. And at that time in the future, when we can be together again, and, um, you know, when people have been vaccinated, and maybe we'll all have this kind of collective experience of release from captivity in a sense. Um, we, then we move on to this idea in the psalm of um, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And so the people are worshiping and they're, they're filled with gladness. Um, and so much so that the nation surrounding Israel um, recognized this. The Gentiles um, said, look, like God has done this great thing. He's released his people from captivity. Um, King Cyrus let let them go. Um, and he was not, he was obviously not a, um, a Jewish leader, but he released them. And this was seen as like miraculous. And the people surrounding Israel were, were saying, look what God has done for them. Um, and then we see this, this echo of that um, statement, the Lord has done great things for us. And it's almost as if the Israelites appropriate that um, message that they're hearing from around them and say, yes, you know, identifying this gratitude, God has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. You know, as followers of Jesus, we might also um, see our own story of coming to know Jesus and to be, to, to experience that sense of rescue in our own salvation here in this line. Um, so then there is this transition in the psalm at about verse four, where we see that prior to that, it's been all about pure joy. But the second half of the psalm is this mixture of joy and lament. Um, so we see restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Um, and this has been suggested. This is a picture of 
the Israelites who had not yet returned from captivity streaming into the promised land, streaming back into their land. Um, and it's this just this beautiful picture of restoration, um, but also a recognition that while um, many of the, the Israelites have been let free, set free from captivity, that there were still those who were struggling, who were in exile and who were suffering. And um, so there's this mixture of um, uh, joy, but also just what about the others? What about those who are who've been left behind? Um, and there's this collective remembering of those who are still suffering. Um, apparently, the Israelites, while they were released under Cyrus, it took the reign of Darius and Xerxes and some of his successors to see all of them actually return back um, to Israel. So, um, so there's this kind of this pain in this psalm that we see where some have been set free and others are still held captive. Um, I'm reminded of our sacred ecology theme here, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And there's just this kind of reminder of how, you know, interconnected we are and COVID, I think, has really reminded us all so acutely of how much we need each other, how much we need each other's presence, um, and how that nourishes and sustains us. Um, so just to hop on back to the psalm here, um, this, these last few verses, um, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. Um, so this allusion is to a peasant farmer. Um, and when I was in university, I took an anthropology of peasants course. And one of the things that I remember from that course was just um, how much of a risk was tied into their experience of of planting seed um, and sowing seed because their livelihoods were so tied into their relationship with the land that if the, the seed failed and the harvest didn't come, um, the families would experience starvation. And so um, there's kind of this image of the anxiety and concern that a, a farmer might feel sowing the seed um, with tears and hoping that that harvest will be reaped, hoping that joy will come to pass, hoping that, you know, they'll be able to feed their children. Um, and, and there's this, this sort of encouragement that we find in these words that, you know, the farmer hopefully will visit the field again and there will be a harvest and there will be goodness. And um, also for us that where we've planted and sown that we will return and find the fruits of our own struggle and labor and faith. Um, so this image of weeping at planting is juxtaposed with the image of harvest joy. And it's like suggesting that weeping is not the end of our story. And somehow the sadness and pain um, in the planting uh, will bring forth maybe even a sense greater joy because in contrast, these experiences are perceived. Um, I just want to mention a couple of weeks ago when Joanna spoke on hope, she mentioned that um, we can't selectively numb our emotions, which is a quote from Brene Brown. And I think too, we kind of see that here in this psalm. There's the lamenting and there's the joy. And um, maybe there's an encouragement to be present for all of it in the midst of what we're experiencing in this season. 
Um, when Nate and I lived in Abbotsford, I went through a really dark season in my own life. Um, we were part of a church community uh, where there was a suicide and um, it was just a really devastating time. Um, really beautiful woman who took her life, um, a pastor's wife who um, had been to Bible school and loved people and um, just lived with um, unmanaged bipolar disorder. And it was just, it was devastating to our community. Um, at that same time, I was really struggling with a lot of anxiety myself. And we were super isolated because we'd moved to Abbotsford in a season um, for work and didn't have any community there. And uh, it was it was such a dark time um, for me. And I came across in this season a passage from Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God. Um, and this is from a chapter called, How Could a Good God Allow Suffering? Um, and this is the reference to Lord of the Rings here. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Lord of the Rings, I, st I still think this passage is, is relatable. Um, after the climax of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Samwise Gamgee discovers that his friend Gandalf was not dead, as he thought, but alive. He cries, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. Embracing the Christian doctrines of the incarnation and cross brings profound consolation in the face of suffering. The doctrine of the resurrection can instill in us with instill us with a powerful hope. It promises we will get the life we most long for, but it will be infinitely more glorious world than if there had never been the need for bravery, endurance, sacrifice, or salvation. And so it's this picture of somehow in, in the work of the cross and in the redemption of all things, and there's this mystery that the sad will become untrue. And... Um, And there's somehow joy in that, in that knowledge, in that experience, in knowing that there's this broader picture and longer story in which all our tears will be wiped away, in which um, there will be the restoration of all things. Um, I want to offer a final picture of um, everything sad coming untrue. And I, um, I will really apologize if you haven't seen the movie, The Tree of Life before. Um, because this is the ending of that movie. If you'd like to see that movie, you might want to turn away now. Um, but this is Terrence Malick's film. And um, the ending scene has been debated a lot by film critics and relig religion scholars because many, um, many believe it represents the restoration of all things and sort of um, is a picture of heaven. And in, in the movie itself, there are many broken relationships. There's um, loss and death. Um, there's the death of a beloved son. It's, it's really quite um, tragic in parts. But then in the final images of the film, we see all of it somehow restored. And I think it's this, just this beautiful picture of the joy that comes um, at that point in the story 
in relation to all the suffering that's happened. And I just wanted to offer it here and I hope you can hear it. <laughs> There's a beautiful soundtrack to it, um, but I'm gonna attempt to play it now. I just wanted to offer that as a picture of joy and restoration of that sort of long view of our lives um, in which somehow everything sad does become untrue um, and where every tear is one day wiped away. Um, our joy is really in Jesus, um, in the hope of the redemption of all things. Um, this joy that we see represented in Psalm 126 of freedom from captivity and of how our suffering is never permanent, but held within a longer view of God's redeeming work. Um, so that's the picture of joy that I know there's many other pictures of joy, but that's one picture of joy that I want to leave you with this morning. Um, and I'm just going to stop sharing here. Um, if you have your bitter and sweet thing and would like to engage, just be a few more minutes here. Hopefully you've got something on hand, uh, which is sweet and edible and something that is bitter or sour and a glass of water. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a pause 
and take a breath and just recall to mind um, some of the things that have been tough. You could think about this year, you could think about this month, you could think about this week. And as far as you're comfortable in this moment, um, think about the things that have been difficult to endure or receive. And as you think about those things, take a moment to taste the thing which is bitter or sour. And as you think of this year, allow yourself a moment to mindfully feel those bitter sensations as far as you can endure it. Allow yourself to feel the full impact of those sensations in your mouth and allow them to gently fade. And then if you want, take a sip of water or just you can leave the bitterness in your mouth if you'd like. And as you do that, you might recall one of those tough experiences that um, have happened. Um, next, if you would like, bring to mind uh, the good things of this year or month or week. Someone's at our door. <laughs> um, and just meditate on those for a moment. The good things of this year and month and week before tasting the sweet thing you have selected. Again, you can just dwell um, with that taste and allow it to be. And if you want to drink more water, feel free or just allow that taste to linger. And call, recall to mind one of those positive experiences of this last while. I'm just gonna pray for us. God, in this life, we experience joy and suffering and we thank you that through all of our experiences, your love for us never changes and that you never change and that you are working in and through all things to bring about redemption and wholeness until the day when all the bitter turns to sweet, when all our tears are wiped away and somehow our joy is made deeper because of all we've been through with you. We hold on to the hope that you are redeeming and making all things new. Amen. <laughs>